0: Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. Open your Bibles, please, to the book of Ruth in the Old Testament, the book of Ruth. If you do not have a Bible, there is a white paperback Bible underneath. The seats in front of you should be too far from you, so you can grab one of those. Ruth is on page 127 in that white Bible. But if you turn, uh, if you can find Joshua or Judges, Ruth is the book right after Judges. I wonder how many of you have seen It's a Wonderful Life. This Christmas season, it's pretty hard to avoid laying eyes on it at, at some point. Uh, We haven't actually seen it yet. We saw a play actually down in Noblesville though, a rendition of It's a Wonderful Life just this past weekend, it was very good. Uh, It's a Wonderful Life known as a Christmas movie. But do you know it's also known by a different description. It's known as a redemption story, a story of redemption. Uh, George Bailey, right? He's the owner of the bank and George Bailey loses um, all the money and uh, the bank is on the brink of closing down, and he is destroyed in his heart. He is in despair, he feels like his life has come to an end, and we see a broken down man, and yet God sends him an angel, and God sends him friends and family to come and bail him out of his problem, to deliver him, to rescue him, or we might say to redeem him. And that's the essence of a redemption story, somebody who is down and out for whatever reason, but finds redemption. The Bible, you know, is a redemption story from start to finish, and in the middle of the Bible, there is this tiny little short story called Ruth that is also a redemption story. It's like a mini redemption story inside the grand larger redemption story of the entire Bible, and that's what we're gonna look at here this morning. I think all of us love redemption stories. It's a Wonderful Life, it's one of the most beloved movies in all of American film history. We love redemption stories, and I think one of the reasons why is because we all know what it feels like to be a little bit like a guy like George Bailey. We all know what it feels like to be broken, to be in despair, to feel like we've ruined our lives, to feel like we've made mistakes that can never be corrected. And probably all of us at some point in our lives have asked ourselves this question, can my situation be redeemed? Can I be redeemed? Or is my life so broken down that it's beyond redemption? We identify with redemption stories for that reason. The Bible's answer is, no matter what has happened in your life or what you've done in your life, Yes, you can be redeemed. That's the good news. And so we are going through a sermon series here at New Life called Root 66. And we're going through all 66 books of the Bible, one sermon per Bible book. Uh, We've been away for uh, the last few weeks, so we're returning here today again to the book of Ruth. So some background information very quickly about Ruth, Um, the author who wrote this book. Some people have thought Samuel, that has been pretty clearly dismissed. So uh, no, we don't think Samuel wrote the book and we do not know who the author is. Uh, We believe this story was written around 1000 BC, 1000 years before the coming of Christ. Significant events or significant people who are depicted in this story, Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz, you'll meet them here shortly, and the theme, as I've already told you, is redemption, that's pretty clearly the theme. Now, there are some smaller themes, we'll be looking at those, but the word redemption in one form or another is mentioned 23 times in the book of Ruth, which is only four short chapters. So we don't have time to read the whole book. This is going to be a little different than the past sermons. You know, I'm trying to choose passages that represent the whole book. It's a little hard to do with Ruth because it's one self-contained story. It's a short story. We, to, to really understand it, we've got to try to cover the whole thing. But I can't read the whole thing to you here. Um, but I'm going to read the first chapter. Uh, but please have your Bibles open on your lap, and we're going to be kind of moving around uh, through this book. So let's just read the first chapter of Ruth to get this story started. Please stand for the reading of God's Word. <clears throat> Ruth, chapter 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth." They lived there about 10 years, and both Malon and Chilion died so that the woman was left without her sons, without her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited the people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when, my, when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me?" So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Oh, Lord, we do thank you for your word and the richness of it. Please bless now our examination of this book of Ruth for your glory and our edification and grace. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So, redemption story. Yeah, obviously there's a lot of details in this book we're not going to be able to cover, but... I'm trying to give you a broad overview here by looking at this book with the three sub-themes. That is, there are there are three very key elements that end up leading to this theme of redemption in this book of Ruth. And the first one is this God's providence. God's providence is a major theme that leads to redemption. Now, by the word providence, not a word that we really use a whole lot in this day and age. Uh, By that, I just simply mean God's holy and wise governing of all his creatures and all their actions. That is, God's providence refers to his sovereign control over all things. And we're going to see that come out here in this book. So let me just kind of review the story, what we just read. Um, Here's what's going on there's a woman named Naomi, she has a husband and she has two sons. There is a famine in Israel, and so they flee Israel and they go to the country of Moab, about 50 miles east of Bethlehem. Not far, but it gets them to a place where they can get some food. And while they're in Moab, the two sons marry. One son marries a woman named Orpah. Now don't misunderstand, it doesn't say Oprah. It's not Oprah Winfrey here. Orpah, and then the other son marries a woman named Ruth. Um, but eventually, Naomi's husband dies, and those two sons die as well. So now there's Naomi left in Moab with her two daughters-in-law. And so when they hear that the famine is no longer happening in Israel, they decide to go back, Naomi and her two daughters-in-law. And as they're traveling back to Israel, Naomi speaks to her two daughters-in-law and says, look, there's really no reason for you to come back here with me. It's not going to work out well for you. Uh, The chances of you getting married are pretty slim, so you should go back to Moab. And Orpah hears that and says, okay. And she turns around and she she leaves and she goes back. But Ruth says, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to leave you. Naomi and she says here in verse 16 she says where you go I will go where you lodge I will lodge I'm going to follow you wherever you go and so the chapter then ends in verse 22 and says this Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite her daughter-in-law with her not Orpah she's gone back who returned from the country of Moab and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Now that seems like an incidental detail, but this is actually a kind of a foreshadowing. This is getting us ready for something to happen. And in fact, what it's telling us is that they have arrived back in Bethlehem at just the right time. Barley harvest time. And in chapter 2, then, we get to see God's providence unfolding in more detail. So, we didn't read this, so hopefully you know something of the story, but but if not, I think you'll get the gist of it. So, here's what happens. Naomi and Ruth are back in Bethlehem, and Ruth, the younger lady, decides that she's going to go to work. And so, at the start of chapter 2, Ruth finds a field. Chapter 2, verse 2, it says, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain, glean means simply to come into a field and pick up the grain, the barley, the crops that have been left over. This is what Old Testament law commanded uh, farmers to do for the benefit of the poor. Naomi and Ruth are poor. And so Ruth goes into this field, begins to work, and then look at verse three, chapter two, verse three. It says, so, they, so she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the Ripper, reapers and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. Now that's a significant phrase, she, she happened to come. The, the implication there is just you know, what a coincidence that Ruth happened to come to this particular field. But this was no coincidence at all, was it? this is by God's providence that Ruth begins gleaning in this particular field because as she goes into this field, she meets this guy named Boaz. And Boaz takes great favor, looks upon uh, Ruth with great favor. And throughout chapter two, we see Boaz takes care of this Moabite woman. He makes sure that she is protected, that none of the other men lay a hand on her. He makes sure that she gets the water that she needs. He makes sure that she has an ample opportunity to glean and pick up all the leftover crops. He makes sure that she gets fed with as much as she wants. And then eventually she returns home. After this long day, Ruth goes back and she talks to Naomi and she says, you'll never guess what happened. I went out gleaning in this field and I met this man named Boaz. Boaz. And Naomi, we're going to kind of imagine, Naomi's eyes probably got really big and said, who who did you say? And Ruth says, I met a guy named Boaz. And Naomi says, I know who Boaz is. Boaz is a member of our family. If you look at verse 20 in chapter two, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours. He's one of our redeemers. Now we'll talk more about what that means. What does it mean for a person to be a, a redeemer? But this is an extraordinary connection here that has been made. Now think about this, Ruth is a Moabite. Ruth is coming to Israel. She has no idea who owns what field. I mean, she's just walking out into a field. This looks like a good place to start, and she starts gleaning, and it just so happens that she meets a man who is just about to change her life and to change Naomi's life. This is going to be the most important connection in her entire life. That's not accidental, friends. What what we're seeing here is that although our lives very often seem to be filled with random, haphazard, accidental events, running into people here, getting a certain job, meeting somebody in the grocery store, finding yourself in Muncie or Yorktown, all of these things that that happen, they seem random. But what the Bible would teach us is that behind all circumstances, God's unseen hand is weaving all details together for your good and for your blessing and for your redemption. One of the most popular verses in all the scriptures is Romans 8, 28, and it applies here. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who were called according to his purposes. And this is what's happening for Ruth. God is orchestrating events so that she and through her, Naomi then, would be blessed. This is how we are called to live as Christians, friends. We are called to look at all the events of our lives seeking to spy out God's providential work. We don't walk through life looking at events as if they are random accidents. That's the way atheists live. Atheists don't have any reason to believe that there is any kind of design to the events that happen in their lives. But as Christians, we do, and yet how Easy is it very often to live our lives as if God does not exist, as if he's not in control, as if his providence is not for us, like the Bible says that it is. This can be really an exciting exercise, I think, in our Christian lives to review the events of our lives and think through of them, think through them looking for the way God has orchestrated events. So an example from my own life, I think maybe I've told this story before, but when I got to seminary in St. Louis, I met a guy named Greg Blosser, who turned out to be uh, a very dear friend of mine. He's a pastor in Columbus, Ohio now. And what brought Greg and me together was our mutual interest in music. And so we spent a lot of time talking about music through seminary, got to know each other very well. And then when I graduated, I put my resume together looking for a position and decided to use Greg as a reference. So Greg Blosser's name is on my resume, and New Life is looking for a pastor, and so I send my resume to New Life, and it just so happens, as the text says here in chapter 2, verse 3, that, uh, that Jim Spiegel is on the search committee for New Life. Well, it just so happened that Greg Blosser was a former student of Jim Spiegel's at Taylor University years before. And so Jim sees Greg's name, and Jim talks to Greg. And I don't know what Greg said, but it worked out okay for me <laughs> uh, because New Life eventually extended an offer for me to come and serve as its pastor. I mean, that's just wonderful. I mean, you know, I didn't, when I met Greg and became his friend, I promise you, I wasn't thinking, you know, maybe this will help me get a job someday. You know, I'm going to make friends who are going to help me get ahead. I mean, I don't think that way, and I certainly didn't think that way then. So it seemed random and haphazard that I'm meeting this guy named Greg Blosser, but it turns out to be a very significant Um, aspect of God's providence. Now, you know, we don't always know what God is doing. I'm not suggesting that every single little thing that happens, you can read into it some deep theological lesson or that you can pull from it necessarily exactly what God is doing. In many cases, we don't know what God is doing, but that doesn't mean that He's not doing something. God's providence extends to all of our lives and it extends to your lives, friends, and and you should be asking yourselves questions about the things that happen in your life. You know, Just simple things like this, I mean, who is your neighbor? Who lives next to you? Who lives in the house next door to you? Who lives in the apartment next to you? Who sits next to you in your classroom? Who's in your class if you're a teacher? Who do you work with? Who do you work most closely with? Do you think those things are accidents? That you are connected with those people? There is no accident whatsoever to that. Why is it that new life is located right here at River Road and 500 West? Is that an accident? Or does God have something in mind? Did he design it that way? You know, Ruth went into that field having no idea what was gonna happen. Well, whoever planted this church years ago came to this field. This used to be a field. And they said, that's a good place to build a church. And this is where the church was built. Nothing accidental or random about it. And so God's providence is at work in Ruth's and Naomi's lives and in your lives as well. Second theme is God's kindness. We see God's kindness um, spread throughout this story. A lot of examples of that, but Let me show you two examples. Uh, First of all, we see God's, uh, excuse me, Ruth's extraordinary kindness toward Naomi. And so Naomi says this, if you go back to chapter one, verse eight, Naomi um, is speaking to these two daughters-in-law. She says, go return each of you to your mother's house. And then she says, may the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with. Um, with the dead and with me. She's saying, You have dealt kindly with my deceased spouse, my deceased sons, and you've dealt kindly with me. And so that's referring to Ruth and Orpah. Now, of course, we know that Orpah goes back, and what happens is we see that Ruth's kindness then um, stands out in a magnificent way compared to Orpah's. Ruth's kindness is extraordinary. And here's how we see this, and one of the reasons why this is so important is because Naomi is in a place where she is in great need of kindness. I mean, Naomi is living a hard life. She has no husband any longer. She has no sons any longer that that makes for a very difficult life in this particular culture that means no inheritance for her that means she has no protector that is almost a guarantee that she's going to live a life of poverty this is a woman who is down and out and she even says that here in verses 20 and 21 of chapter 1 when she comes back to Jerusalem and people say hey Naomi welcome back and she says don't call me Naomi i don't want that name any longer The name that I want is Mara. That word means bitter. Because the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. I went away from this place to Moab Fall and I'm coming back empty. I'm feeling pretty empty. And some of you today are feeling empty. Some of you were once full and now you're empty. Some of you are feeling like, why is God dealing so bitterly with me? And people in those situations are the ones who most desperately need a word of kindness. And I can't imagine how sweet the words of Ruth must have sounded in Naomi's ear in verse 17 when Ruth says, where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. I'm going to go to the grave with you, Naomi. You don't have anybody else in your life But even at the end, when no one's around, I'm going to be there. There's only one thing that's going to separate me from you, and that's death. And that's what Naomi needed to hear. She needed words of kindness, and these words from Ruth are extraordinarily kind and must have given Naomi hope to continue moving forward. You know what that's like. Have you ever experienced, been on the receiving end of words of kindness like that? That was God speaking to you through someone else. That was God's encouragement to you. And you know, when you speak words of kindness to others, God is using you to show himself to be kind. You can save a person's life through words of kindness. Maybe some of you have been watching uh, this past week the funeral of George Bush. And one of the phrases that has been used to describe George Bush is uncommonly kind. I mean, that's, that's a good thing to shoot for in one's life, I think. I mean, if, when, when you pass away, will people describe you as kind? I mean, I don't know how much you know about the Bible. I don't know how theologically um, acute you are. I, I don't know how many people have been brought to faith through you. I, I, you know, I, I don't know how many great, big, fantastic things you have done. Um, but don't underestimate the value of being kind. Al Gore was talking about George Bush and he he said um, that in the 2000 presidential election where Al Gore had just been defeated by George Bush's son, Al Gore had made his concession speech and he got in a car, secret service car, and he was going back to his office and the first person who called him was George Bush, not the son who beat him, but George Bush's father, the one who just passed away, and Al Gore said, he he called me, and his voice was full of emotion, and he said the kindest things to me. George Bush recognized that there is a person, I mean, my opponent, and there's a person who's hurting, there's a person who needs kindness, and he took the initiative and said those words. Is Is there somebody in your life, friends? who needs a word of kindness from you. Maybe now is the time to extend that. Ruth's kindness is extraordinary to Naomi. But we also see Boaz's extraordinary kindness to Ruth. Boaz's extraordinary kindness to Ruth. Now, um, we're going forward here now to chapters three and four. I'm just gonna summarize chapter three very quickly. Chapter three is where Naomi, says to Ruth, after hearing about her meeting with Boaz, knowing how kind Boaz is, Naomi says, Ruth, here's what I want you to do. Get yourself your best outfit on, and get some perfume on, and get yourself looking really good, and go see Boaz, and see if he'll marry you. And so, that's what Ruth does. And in a way that was appropriate for that culture, Ruth goes, and, and she does that, and Boaz says yes. And agrees to marry Ruth. Now, Boaz is quite a bit older, and Boaz considers this an act of kindness actually from Ruth, that she wouldn't choose somebody younger. But there is this um, agreement now that these two are, are going to be married. And so then we hear that Boaz is what is called a kinsman redeemer. Now, that's just an odd. Phrase that might bring confusion to your mind. If you think of the word kinsman, it just really makes, means family. It, it just means that there is a redeemer within the family. And this is in accordance with um, Deuteronomy 25 and Leviticus 25, Old Testament law that explains how this should work. And, and it, it, here's the idea. It, it's that when there is a woman like Naomi who's lost a husband and now she's a widow and she's in a really bad spot, that someone from the family should come in and redeem the situation. And that can happen in a couple of ways. One way, the, the, the relative can come in and marry Naomi. Uh, the relative can also come in and um, buy a, a piece of land that maybe was lost through this process or to purchase land in a way that would benefit the, the widow. And. The way this would work is that the nearest relative would be the one who would have the responsibility to come in and act as a redeemer. So we learn here that Boaz is a redeemer, that is, he's part of this family, so he has this responsibility. But if you look at verse 12 of chapter three, what Boaz says is this, he says, I know I'm a redeemer, but there's a redeemer nearer than I, what he's saying there is, there's actually a person in the family who's closer to you than I am. And that person really ought to be able to come in and be given the first opportunity to act as a redeemer for you, Ruth and Naomi. And so that's what happens. So Boaz in chapter four, he brings in this other redeemer. So close relative, by the way, you know, the, the closest relative for Naomi would probably be Elimelech's a, a, a brother. Um, But if the brother couldn't fulfill this responsibility, then it might go to an uncle. And then if an uncle couldn't fulfill the responsibility, it might go to a cousin. And so those are getting farther away. The close one would be a brother. Now, we don't know what Boaz's exact relationship was to um, Naomi, but we know that he was a more distant relative than this other person. Okay? So, chapter 4, Boaz brings in this closer relative and says, you've got first rights to this land. We we also learned that Naomi is selling land in chapter four. So she's offering up this land for sale. And this relative is given the opportunity to buy it. And so Boaz says, you're the nearest, closest relative. You're the redeemer. Do you wanna buy it? And he says, yeah, I'll buy the land. And then Boaz says, okay, well there's one other thing you gotta know. If you buy this land, you gotta marry Ruth too, she's part of the deal, it's a package deal, you gotta take her as well. And the redeemer says, eh, maybe not. And he says no. Now I don't think that is really supposed to be an insult toward Ruth, probably what's happening here is the man is thinking, "Um, you know, if I purchase this land, and um, Ruth is is married and then has a son, then that son is gonna inherit the land and I'm gonna lose that land. (laughs) So actually this might not work out so well for me financially. This might not enhance my estate, this might make me poorer. So he's thinking of the cost, he's thinking of the sacrifice and he's not willing to do it, not willing to pay the cost. But that's exactly what Boaz wants to hear because Boaz steps in and says, I am willing to pay the cost I'll take the risk I'll buy the land and I'll marry this woman and I will take her into my family and all of her sadness and all of her pain and all of her trouble and all of her difficulties she and Naomi I'm taking them all into my life I'm going to give myself for this person that's what a redeemer does And do you see the beautiful picture of the gospel here? The love of Boaz for Ruth and Naomi pictures in a faint way the love of Jesus Christ for you and for me. Because Jesus steps forward and says, I'm willing to pay the price for my people. I'm willing to go to a cross for my people. I'm willing to die for my people. I'm willing to shed blood for my people. I'm willing to purchase them. And the inheritance is not a mere parcel of land. The inheritance, the, the inheritance is an eternal kingdom of God for those who trust in this Redeemer. This is what Paul tells us here in, in Titus. He says, when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done for us, done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy the gospel god's sending a redeemer for us is rooted fundamentally in god's kindness and so friends your life might be bitter today your whole life might have been bitter and i wouldn't want to minimize that in any way except to just remind you that god is kind and his kindness has been shown in sending a redeemer to purchase you, to redeem you, and to bring you to himself. The kindness of God. Now the last thing we see is God's mission. God's mission. Um, here's something that we can't miss in this story. Ruth was a Moabite. Now remember that. The, the name of this book is, is Ruth. Ru- Ruth's name is preserved in the canon of scripture. Ruth, Ruth is not an Israelite, friends. Ruth is a Moabite. Ruth is from a country, Moab, that has been considered an enemy of Israel. Moab were the ones that wouldn't let Israel come through their land when Israel left Egypt. Moab is a nation where they worshiped foreign gods. Moab was a nation where they practiced child sacrifice. And that's where Ruth was from. A book named after that woman, coming from that culture. But here's what happened. When Ruth came with Naomi, what we find out, if you want to go back to chapter 1, verse 15, is that Ruth was converted, friends. Here's what she says in verse 15. Where you go, I will go. And then at the end of verse 16, actually 16, she says, Your people shall be my people, and your God my God, Naomi. What she's saying here is, I am going to leave behind the gods that I worshipped in Moab and I'm going to worship the God of Israel now. I'm going to leave behind my old way of life and I am going to give myself to a new way of life. Ruth is converted. She is changed. She's not going to worship these gods that her relatives and her friends in Moab have and this is what is always connected with conversion, true conversion generally involves a leaving behind of a certain way of life and that's what was required for Ruth. And this is what is required for all efforts in missions. We are called as a church, as the people of God, to be on mission. Do you see this? This is not something that started with the Great Commission in Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all nations. The missionary enterprise didn't start then. It started in the Old Testament. It actually started all the way back in Genesis 12 when God came to Abraham and said, Abraham, I'm going to make of you a nation and you're going to reach all the nations of the world. And that's what we're seeing here. Ruth is a Moabite. Ruth is not an insider. Ruth was not a good Jewish believer. And yet she comes in, she believes, she is saved, and she becomes part of, of God's people. She says, I am not gonna worship a false God anymore, I'm gonna worship the true God. And eventually what we see at the very end of this book is that the the true God is ultimately revealed through the line of Ruth. If you look with me at the very end of the book, chapter four, look at the very end of the book, the last few verses, here's what happens. Ruth and Boaz, have a child, that child's name is Obed. Obed has a child named Jesse, Jesse has a child named David, do you see that? The very last word of the last verse, Obed fathered Jesse and Jesse fathered David and from David's line comes a savior named Jesus. Through the line of Ruth, comes a Messiah for all people. A fulfillment of Genesis 3.15, the descendant who's gonna come and crush the head of the serpent. The one who's gonna fulfill Genesis 12 by drawing all nations to himself. The one, do you remember in the Christmas story, Luke chapter one, the angel comes and speaks to Mary And he says this, Mary, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. Jesus' father was David. Jesus considered the son of David. All through Ruth, a Moabite, a former enemy, Of the people of God. Friends, this is an essential part of the whole biblical story, and that is this, that you and I are always on mission. Do you see yourself that way as a Christian? You're on mission. You've been sent. You have been called to be one who seeks to reach people. This is not just a secondary responsibility of the church. Christopher Wright says this, mission is not just one of a list of things that the Bible happens to talk about only a bit more urgently than some. Mission is, in that much abused phrase, what it's all about. Are you on mission? Do you want to reach the people in your life, in your family, in your workplace, in your neighborhood? Do we as a church want to reach the people surrounding River Road and 500 West? Do we want to reach Yorktown and Muncie? Do we want to reach the nation for the gospel? Do we want to reach the world with the gospel? Do we? If we don't, if we have no interest in that, if we're apathetic about that, we're missing the whole point of the scriptures because it's about mission. And through this mission, people get redeemed. People get redeemed. So, redemption in the book of Ruth. God's providence works all things together so that his redemption will be accomplished. God in his kindness sends a redeemer and then sends kind people to bless others. And God's people... Think of themselves as constantly on mission, opening their mouths to proclaim the gospel, blessing and supporting missionaries throughout the world, looking forward to that day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, we do thank you so much for your word, the way all the various elements of your word are tied together in accordance with your wisdom and your providence. Thank you for the way you use Boaz, Naomi, and Ruth. Thank you for the cost that Boaz was willing to pay, but thank you most of all for the cost, Jesus, that you were willing to pay for us, your people, and it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.